when you throw yourself with all precautions and, and care into the darkness, I mean, that is the hotbed of evangelization. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to every knee shall bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I'm Mike Gomer Gormley, and I'm joined, as always, by my illustrious co-host, Dave, the unquestionably non-schismatic Van Bickle. How you doing, Dave? <laughs> I wouldn't say unquestionably. <laughs> Somewhat I'm questionable. I'm starting in my own church in my backyard right now, basically. Yeah, yeah no. it's, it's literally just exorcisms all day long. No, no. When I, when I read the McCarrick report, I remember I texted my my priest friend uh, and just said, "So I'm joining Orthodoxy now because I'm un, I'm unhappy with the McCarrick report." So now anytime, so now anytime he says that, like something about the church, I'm saying, "See, if you had a Metropolitan, that wouldn't be a problem. Trust me. Like if you if you, if you were like me and joined Orthodox." But yeah, you the, know that that's famous. Rod Dreher went from evangelicalism right? to Catholicism, and then after right. the sex abuse scandal happened. He left for orthodoxy. And uh, it's really funny because when you read, not funny, but when you read his stuff, he, uh, you know, a lot of Catholics called him out on doing that. And then he, um, so he publishes very often the abuses going on in orthodoxy land. Yeah. And it is like, it is terrifying because a lot of orthodox countries, the religion and government are so united that that right. it, it gets crazy. And abuse and all that stuff gets covered up by the state officials as well as by the bishops and it gets oh, yeah. crazy oh yeah there, yeah there's uh yeah i mean there's nothing new under the sun right i mean no matter where you go in in actuality like in the roman church we have it almost the best like when you compare it to like public school when you compare mm -hmm. it to like the business sector when you compare it, it's like so much better you know Hmm. Interesting. So. Interesting. So I, I was reading something today. Um, uh, part of my spiritual practice is to uh, I like a lot of self-development stuff. Right. You know, I'm reading business books and leadership books ad nauseum that you just roll your eyes at. We both listen to Cal Newport, um, although you, you don't like him because he's so young. What can you learn? What can you learn? Yeah. Uh, but I am. So I'm tackling this book called Saints in the World, written by an Opus Dei priest. And it is super fascinating because he wrote it in like the 40s. And it's, I would describe his writing style as a consistent barrage of one, two punches. Like every sentence is short, impactful, and meant to elicit like a, an extreme wake up call. It is wow. as if, yeah. So, I mean, he's just, <laughs> I mean, like every, every page, you're like, oh man. And I thought the opening chapter of, uh, uh, souls of the apostles so the apostle was rough it's like imagine a whole book that's that and right. uh so one of the things that he confronts and talks about and i just wanted your like thoughts he talks about pagans cowards and pietists as the main reason why the church is failing today right so like we got a pagan culture okay that doesn't uphold it and then our people who are supposed to be leaders in the church were cowards so we just ape the culture and then he said and the greatest problem really is the pietists because these look like people who are invested in the in the church, but they are the most weak-hearted, you know, people ever. And he said they are in love with sanctity. They have made sanctity their aim, not God their aim. All true saints have God as their aim, and sanctity is a means to that. But these people want to look holy. Whoa. And so the way he describes he says piety 
becomes a corruption in the eye. Uh, it, it destroys people who would be converted because they think, oh, wait, that's the ideal. These cowardly, terrified, timid, they use the word prudence, but really they're just scared, like all of that stuff. And I was like, wow, wow, yes. And then he goes through the lives of the saints. He's like, imagine reading these lives of the saints where they pretend like every child saint at the age of four no longer played tricks, no longer got in fights with his siblings, didn't ask for toys from Santa. Right. Oh, no, this kid was pure from the beginning. And he's like, it's just unrelatable, and it's destroying Christianity. What do you think of that? Whoa, that that's awesome. I want to yeah. read it. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, you know, it's so funny. I have a, okay, so this is getting into nerd Dave. <laughs> My favorite I have, Dave. I have a notebook that I've had since high school. Okay. Where I track... <laughs> is this your is this your jazzercise journal every time you do no, a successful no workout? but that's a good no. idea no that's a good <laughs> idea no i track the activities of saints mm. okay and so like and i've brought this up like during talks before like like you know this this is what saints do you know so 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 for instance like an example would be like you read about saint francis like well he 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 had a daily love for scripture. Okay, yeah. uh, he mortified himself. He fasted. He did. You know, I I have hundreds, and there's there's about a hundred on the list that just keep getting named over and over again. Okay, yeah. And people have asked me a bunch of times, like, can I have the list? Can I can I? But here's the problem with that. I I'll never relinquish the list. Okay, and I'll never <laughs> publish it because here because here's the problem. Because exactly what you just said, there is this, and and honestly, I think this is kind of a, a in a a religious stoicism right mm -hmm. that when you see the lives of the saints you want that life but you don't understand why why they have that life like yeah. like if you were to just see what saints do and say like oh okay if i do what a saint does then i'll be a saint it doesn't work that way because mm -hmm. you have to read what their motivation is and you know like for instance francis of assisi you could easily look at him in a stoic sense and say like, oh, yeah, he was a man. You know, he he disciplined his body to free the soul. Yeah. And and you would miss entirely his, you know, the scope of what he is, you know. So I totally agree. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. You know, and it is it is funny how stoicism is making such a huge comeback, especially in like men's circles and yeah, in, in yeah. your own life, I'm sure. But all these things like the weightlifting CrossFit culture, they all draw on stoicism. And there's a lot of podcasts. Um, just listen to Cal Newport. He's got like three friends that are like leaders in Stoic, yeah, Stoic revival. Yeah, I know. And it's funny so because Stoicism doesn't care about metaphysics. It just cares about morality. Like how do you confront the abyss that is the world? You know? But the chief virtue of Stoicism is apatheia or indifference. Right. And every time I read that, but I'm indifference always like, to death, right? Indifference. Well, it, indifference yeah. to everything is the ultimate, yeah. like okay. duty, like the, the manifestation of, of stoic philosophy is duty for duty's sake, even if it kills you. Right. right. So for instance, um, the stoics were invented in Greece, but it had no traction there. It got, but the Roman empire picked it up and it became the du jour uh, way of life in, in the Roman empire because it's a very militaristic discipline and the Roman empire itself was very militaristic. And so you begin to look at, at, at these things through these lens. And it's funny because um, apatheia, apathy, indifference to all things. So you have these constant reoccurring stories of Roman provincials who put their sons to death for breaking the law. Yeah. And they watch it and they don't cry. Like that's the right. thing. 
It constantly right. said, like, I, I'm willing to kill my son because he broke the law. Like, no favoritism. I will not be corrupted by the extremes of this world. But it's almost, it's like the reverse of a martyrdom story. It's like, see, I didn't even shed a tear for my son. Yeah. As I, as I chopped his, or as I had the guards chop his head off or whatever. And it's bizarre because it gets incorporated in Christianity because it has the moral elements, right? Like, to oppose the corruption of the world without being corrupt. Like right. if if that's the thing that I think that appeals to us, but so and like I don't think Jesus was indifferent <laughs> to no right to humans right yeah right and and it's funny like uh, well yeah I get it and and when you come down to it like you look at someone like Marcus Aurelius he's like he is so virtuous and seems so like loving and caring but he's not loving and caring that's not, it's duty yeah you know what I mean like so so I I bought uh, the meditations for Sam for my son Sam who's twelve. Of Marcus Aurelius, and um, you know he, he, Marcus Aurelius, like you could, you, you could probably just as easily read. Well, like for for instance, Benedictine monks, right? You know who had who have the skull on their desk, right? Like yeah. that's a big Marcus Aurelius thing. Like almost everything was like, look, you, you have just today. You could die at any minute, so live this moment, you know. But um, he he seems like such a fantastic leader and a wonderful leader, but it's completely without emotion. You know, Sam doesn't know that part, but yeah, and that's the thing is, it's not about it, it becomes Kantianism in our modern world. Immanuel Kant, it's called deontology. It's essentially duty for duty's sake, and the idea is for Kant, it almost becomes more meritorious if you visit your enemy in the hospital than if you visit your friend because you love them. It's like, well, yeah, you love them, that's why you go. You got the emotions, <laughs> but to visit your enemy who you hate. That is duty for duty's sake, and it's like, <laughs> oh, something's getting lost in translation yeah. here, you know. Right. But the but obviously there is obedience and duty, and there comes this point where, where, where I think for many of us today, we live in a culture of emotivism, where the passions win. Right. Uh, Bishop Barron had his thing on um, gay marriage and moral argument, where he said, and this might be the bridge to our follow up episode today for our last week's show. But the idea of like no one's making an argument, they're just assertion asserting the emotional impact of their of their viewpoint. And I think that that's a motivism of great Catholic philosopher Alistair McIntyre at Notre Dame. He talks about like we live in a culture of emotivism where emotions are their own justification for action. And when if you actually take the time like I did this morning, uh, which is kind of weird that this is all coming up, but the morality of the passions. Right. The emotions. Right. You right. read in the catechism. I think it's uh, 1765 ish to 1775, something like that um, in the catechism. Right. The passions, your emotions, your feelings, the movements of the sensitive appetite, love and hate, fear and joy, all these different things. Um, they're part of who you are as a human person. So it's like it is good to be moral rationally, but it's not enough. Ultimately, the best way, the moral perfection is when your passions are in union with your the moral emotions right oh, yeah, yeah. yeah right. all these things are supposed to be united so that you don't just do the good you love the good and so duty for duty's sake only gets you halfway there yeah if you uh and again like you can you can see all this in the lives of the saints especially the ones who wrote enough to like to to expose their inner workings of their soul that God slowly peels away all of the other motivations. Like if you're drawing towards God, he slowly peels it away, you know, and and you see in the end, can you can you just love God for 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 just that one reason, just to love him. 
right? Not to receive anything from him, not to be loved by him, but just for that one motivation of, do I love God? You know, uh, and that, that's a, that's a scary point in a saint's life, you know? Yeah. That's what, um, we were talking earlier before we started the call of, uh, Dr. Regis Martin, um, yeah. or Dr. Ralph Martin, excuse me, Dr. Ralph Martin. I always confuse the two and they me are too. very different. Me too. Oh yeah. <laughs> Ralph Martin, uh, who teaches up in Detroit at the seminary there. He, one of his things about the, when he breaks down St. John of the Cross's dark night of the soul and dark night of the senses, dark night of the senses detaches you from the world in a, in a, in a deep way. And it's a very painful process. Dark night of the soul is a thousand times more painful and you can almost distill it down to the phrase, it gets at the very heart of your desire. Do you, are you using God to get happiness or is God your happiness? Right. And I remember someone, either he said it that way or, or someone paraphrased it that way. And I was like, wow, wow. Because then you could say like, even if I should never have him, would I still love him? Right. You know, without all the gifts, without all the joy, St. Augustine says, you know, you have uh, faith in Christ when if if I gave you an option to see the face of God, but to have nothing of the consolations, nothing of the joys, nothing of the gifts of this world, or you could have you could have heaven without seeing the face of God, or you could see the face of God even if it's purgatory forever. And he said, if you wouldn't choose to see the face of God no matter what, then then you're still you still have a long way to go. And I'm yeah. like, oh, okay, <laughs> crap. <laughs> Give me the consolations. Give me extra consolations. <laughs> that statement made me feel unsafe. Yeah, woo me, Lord. Woo me. <laughs> Always woo me. Be, yeah. Uh, I, be, I, be the I, bridegroom, not the father. <laughs> it, I, you know, I, you know this, that I rely so much on, on reading the lives of the saints and, and stuff like that. But um, you, you, you really do have to be careful about, you, you can get a long way on false motivations. Yeah. You can get far in the church, you know, you can get far in, in the, in the spirit, well, in the perceived spiritual life on false motivations. And I've seen so many people um, who have lived their lives totally, completely Catholic come to a point when they're older where they say, I feel like it was all totally like what I was doing before was nothing. Like I, yeah. it was, it was leading me the wrong way. And, this one statement changed everything or this one retreat or this one, you know, thing. So, wow. Yeah. And we always have to be on, uh, and th this is a part of like the constant, this is the reason why a podcast on evangelization has to be a podcast on personal Deci holiness, right. has to be a podcast on discipleship and has to have constant <laughs> referrals to examinations of conscience. Like <laughs> you can't do this because we constantly, we don't even want to look we don't even know because we're so scared to look into our hearts. We don't even know the things that we're battling against, you know? Um, you know, the the unchaste souls who are celibate for all the wrong reasons, right? Like you you I was just listening to Catholic stuff you should know and they were talking about the struggles of celibacy and the poverty of celibacy and the 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 cons of celibacy. You have to die to the things that you don't get by being married with kids. And there are elements of that. And he said, and a lot of a lot of priests don't want to confront that. So they just ignore, ignore, ignore instead of like mourning the loss of those things and then going on, accepting just celibacy for what it is. A discipline. Or, re or replacing it with an analog. Yeah. And so right. the problem becomes many of these people run from and, and and religious too, not just priests. I'm not just dog and priests, but people who choose celibacy often uh it's it's like it's more of a security blanket than a virtue. And something can undo that, right? It can undo that. 
and it all falls apart, right? It's scary. It's oh, yeah. scary. Oh, yeah. So what we wanted to do today, we actually had a really excellent listener email come in that I think is probably the most difficult question. Yep. It's not just hard, it's difficult. Like It's not like, oh, right. my, my son came out of the closet and he's saying he can't be Catholic because they're anti-gay. How do you talk to him? That's hard. This is like, there are 500 things arrayed against this woman yeah. from evangelizing in her own parish in Sweden. So we are going to tackle this next week because... When me and Dave started going through it, we're like, there's so many moving parts. That's right. just that's just crazy. really what this what this what this woman needs is to bring us into the parish, <laughs> you and I, for a couple weeks. Yeah, but only some of them would understand our English. <laughs> no, I mean, so we can literally sit down and just start, you know, moving the parts around. And yeah. Oh, God help her. God help her. So, uh, Linnea, we are going to address your email next time. Uh, so I'm actually going to take it to adoration today. I got it all typed up and ready to rock. But today we wanted to do a follow up to last week's episode. Last week, uh, I started. Uh, talking about it with some people and they brought up some interesting questions some nuances that i think maybe would work and me and you talked about it a little bit so summary last week's episode sometimes in evangelization we hide behind the there there can be a tendency i'm couching my terms to hide behind the kerygma so we don't get involved in the moral disputes and culture wars that are raging around us and Dave wanted to bring it up because he felt like he had heard it one too many times. Let's just give them Jesus. Let's not talk about these things. And Dave's, I think your really great point was, you know, I feel like some of these people haven't been on the front lines and seen what these things do to people. Therefore, um, that's why they feel like they can they can avoid it, even if they're not being cowards. Right. It, it can be avoidable. Uh, would you think that was a fair summary? Yeah, I was I was thinking about it in terms of. Recently, uh, last night, actually, I was thinking about it like well, if someone is drowning and I were just to describe to them a, a like a life raft as opposed to like send them a life raft. That's the way I kind of feel about it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, because we see what abortion does to men and women alike, obviously what it does to the child, what it does to our culture, you know, how it creates a culture of death. And by just saying, well, let me give it Jesus and not talk about it, confront it, deal with it. Uh, that can be um, that can be very problematic for us as Catholics. But I wanted to do a follow-up. So my first kind of follow-up thing is when we talk about evangelization and culture wars, let's do it from the lens of a very Sherry Weddellian approach and talk about it through the lens of charisms. Because some people have a charism of evangelization, of teaching, of preaching, right. um, and they can enter into conversations about Christ and actually advance the cause of the gospel even in these morally difficult areas in ways that, um, you know, maybe someone like yourself who ha you have been on the forefront of pro-life stuff from the movement side, fundraising side to walking with individual women and couples and men who are going into abortion clinics or who have come out of abortion clinics. I would say that that might be an apostolate or charism of your life that might not be that of someone else's who would tend more towards evangelization. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah. Oh, I think that's true. I don't know for sure if it's true of my life, but I think that there are people we know who yeah. certainly have like a charism for it, you know, um, uh, you know, like our friend, well, I, I don't know. Were you friends with Jim Havens, Jim Havens? Yeah. Like that's, I mean, it, there's no question in my mind. He's going to devote his life to ending abortion you know and i think that that's good you know that's that's a good thing because that's what god is calling him to do or there you know there are just certain people who like they like for instance i've known people who've worked with courage you know and and that is like their 
it's it's clear this is what God has called them to. And I think that I I guess like what I want to be careful about is this that I don't think in some of these issues anyone gets a pass. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like As individual I think, Catholics. Yeah. Like when I so you know you know how like at my parishes well which I don't have one right now but uh but uh when I like set up the evangelization program we go uh charisma catechesis and conquer right yeah. those are our, that's our cycle in the conquer phase I always I there's two things I take for granted that every single person has to evangelize there's no question like and and I want it to be clear that there is no Christian who does not evangelize okay yeah. um and then I think every person should take part in the like what I would call, consider the battle of our time, which is the pro-life fight. Yeah. So I would add those, those, those would be non, and then in the middle would be works of mercy. So like, you know, and you could do all the works of mercy. You could do some of the works of mercy. You could specialize, you could do all those things. But as far as pro-life and evangelization, I don't give anyone a pass on that. <laughs> I like that. I like so that. Now if how- I'm standing at the gates, you're in trouble. No, just kidding. <laughs> so my question for you then is, so we're speaking to a bunch of evangelists, a bunch of Catholics who are listening in our audience who desperately want to bring the gospel, revitalize the church, reform, renew, all of that good stuff. How do you deal with the dilution of efforts that come with, oh, there's too many missions? Right? Am I going to? Am I the one? When you say pro-life, there's also euthanasia as well as right. abortion. Right? There's companies and industries that profit off of abortions and euthanasias. There's the the destruction of the medical field where men and women who are supposed to be healers are now iconic symbols of death dealing. Right? Like, right. There are so many avenues of fighting the culture war or of f- creating a pro-life culture. Um. Let's just say you're speaking to people who feel called to evangelization. How do you see this this notion involved in in their evangelization? Yeah, that's a, that's hard. What you just said. Um, yeah. So I so this is what I think. I think that every person has a duty to continually evaluate what God is calling them to in their life, and that it's kind of like you sift it out, right? And they eventually find the right place that God is kind of calling them to. There are certain places that I would say, well, no, you don't get to just say like, oh, I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave evangelization for the pro-life efforts. I'm going to leave pro-life efforts for evangelization. But certainly there are nuances to both of those options, right? Do I do parish evangelization? Do I do street evangelization? Do I do all those things? And slowly our job is just to kind of discern what God is calling us to. And I think active discernment is probably really important. I know that's like one of the beauties of, uh, I, I feel like people probably roll their eyes every time I bring up Franciscan University because I love it so much. But <laughs> but one of the beauties about Franciscan University is literally you could, in one week, if you wanted to, get exposed to every single work of mercy mm-hmm. and and get involved in serious ministries of, you know, of all those sorts and almost from every nuance, right? Yeah. Um, and so you could kind of start to, to see where you fit. Right. Um, and it has more to do with more than just passion, right. It has to do with discernment, but I think that that's probably the broad answer, right. That we just have to continually discern where God's calling us to. How would you discern that? Would you discern it by first getting involved and then seeing like, because we can all have bad experiences, like you can go to, I like, I was almost traumatized by the first time I went to an abortion clinic at Franciscan. Because or with the Franciscan students, not at Franciscan, um, <laughs> but because like I had never seen a woman 
walk into an abortion clinic and then yeah. come out the other side. And we were there for like five hours. So you saw the beginning and the end, right? Right. And you, like you said before, not only had you never seen a woman walk in, you've never seen a woman pushed in. Oh, yeah. And that was crazy. so traumatizing. There was right? one woman who walked in by herself with a little yeah. with a little attitude right she flipped us all off and was like i'm yeah. getting an abortion and she started dancing in front of us and stuff uh, oh know. so sad yeah so sad. but that every other woman that i saw was i saw multiple women shoved in and i and i remember looking at my buddy and being like uh free choice is, is this yeah. is this uh choice here um right. shoved in and um and then mostly by moms but some by dads and boyfriends right yeah. like they were sobbing. They did not want to be there. And we weren't screaming. No one, none of us, people might have this image of a pro-life thing as like, you're, you're evil, murderous. You're oh, you no. Know. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't it's like it's literally people singing Ave Maria and, yeah. <laughs> you know, praying the rosary in a very, not like a creepy way. Like, and it's, it's, it was like when I went, it was like 200 college kids dressed nicely who had just gone right. to mass praying this way and praising and all this stuff. So it's not it's not something that would traumatize. Maybe just seeing them might, if they're already fearful, that might scare them. But uh, yeah, it was it, it shook me to my core to see that yeah. and to see how women were had no choice at all. I know, I know. That was always my. That was always my. I I I still I I have to be careful because I get so upset when people. You know, people say like, well, well, this is a patriarchal society, and if you want to evangelize, you have to get past that. So let's leave abortion behind. It's clear to me that person has never been to an abortion clinic because oh. I've seen so many women pushed by their boyfriends. Literally, I've seen women in chokeholds and armholds. Yeah, where I didn't know, like, should I, I didn't know what to do. Like, should I physically inter? Like, you know, it was it was awful. You know, where that happens. Um, one of the things, uh, I don't know, this might be a tangent, but. Uh, one of the things that was interesting is one time when we were at Franciscan, we used to go to the the, the abortion clinic every week. And um, uh, do you remember when we used to stuff the the pamphlets in my room on Friday nights? Do you remember this? Yes, yes. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, <laughs> we used to, we used to do this thing, and and the the students for life on campus had like a video library of pro life videos, and so I would always like order pizza, and I'd be like, oh, it's pro life video night because we'd be stuffing the pamphlets. And then it got to be like we got sick of pro-life movies, so we just started watching a movie and stuffing the pamphlets. That's so but we funny. still called it pro-life video night. Anyways, <laughs> w- when we would go to the to the clinic, um, it, I was I I had just met my wife Amber, and she t- told me about this book Quo Vadis, which I'm sure yeah. you've read, and a lot of people I haven't read, read it, it, but I know about it. Oh, Gomer, it's like the best book ever. You have to read it. Okay, okay. okay. Um, uh, anyways, there's this scene in Quo Vadis where. A Roman, like a centurion, and, and a gladiator are looking for this girl that he's in love with, right? And they find out that she she might be a Christian, and so they're like, "Well, we'll go and see where the Christians are." Okay, mm. so at night they like put on hoods and they like go and infiltrate the Christians, mm. and even though they're not there to hear the gospel, I think it's either Peter or Paul. I don't remember which one it is. One of them is preaching the gospel to all these Christians. And they're listening as they're looking for this girl, yeah. and it's like they're being affected by it, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're being completely affected by it. And I remember like just thinking like, I wonder what would happen, you know, if like I just started like trying to preach, like just lovingly preach the gospel to the clinic escorts, yeah. you know, at there. 
And one weekend, I I literally just I stood. You know, I was always right in front of the door. Yeah. And these escorts were the most terrifying people I've ever met in my life. Like they were scary, evil, evil people. There's yeah, no I question. Mean, just to paint you a picture, folks, these are people who wore bright yellow shirts yeah. that said pro-choice escort. And yeah. they would surround the women when they would because the the place, at least our freshman year, there was like a parking lot in the back and they had to go through the front doors. And they would basically walk them from the parking lot to the front doors. And they would like scream and yell and shout to overcome you guys doing the, the right. sidewalk counseling and um yeah it was just it was just such a bizarre and they were so mean and nasty oh and they were would the say the worst stuff and a lot of the young kids i felt like were the most belligerent but the older people they scared me to my core they were like oh, yeah they're in it yeah. they're in it for all the wrong reasons like they're yeah they're devoted <laughs> So, so one of them, the leader, her name was Sally, and uh, you probably remember her if you I saw do. her. I, you know, yeah, I know uh, who you're talking about. I pray for her every day. I wonder if she's still alive. But uh, I, she, she would always stand by the door by me, and and I mean, t- I've never met anyone with hatred like this in my life. Never in my life. I imagine there might be like Nazis or something that had that kind of hatred, but I've never met anyone like this in my life like this. And. I decided, okay, I'm just going to keep on like just talking about the gospel to Sally. And, and I, and I literally just used the charisma and literally was just like, Sally, do you know how much God loves you? Like he loves you so much. He created you and he created you so funny like you are. And like, and I would just go through the charisma and it was amazing to me because within about 10 minutes, they could get, they could hear it for about 10 minutes and literally they'd be like, that's it. I'm out of here. And they'd like scream a profanity at me and they'd walk away and send someone back. (laughs) And then I would start it again. And just keep doing it. But it's amazing to me how, like, you know, the gospel, it was like they they were so antithetical. It was either they had to accept or they had to get away from it because it was, like, painful to them in a certain wow. sense, you know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I was going to I was gonna ask you, like, okay, so let, let's blend the two worlds. Let's talk about where right. the culture war and evangelization can actually become fruitful. And I think first, like if you think of the culture war as works of mercy, frontline works of mercy, where we are trying to bring the gospel of life into the dark places, right? Didn't that what, isn't that what Jesus did, right? Like, I mean, you think about it, him having dinner with prostitutes um, is, is the most like, imagine if you walked into my house and I had a bunch of prostitutes hanging out with me, Right, like, it would be so shocking. It would, it would, and that's the because the religious mindset is I have to be morally pure, so I have to separate, separate, separate. The powerful thing is when you throw yourself with all precautions and and care into the darkness. I mean, that is the hotbed of evangelization. That right. is the place where people are not pacified by false pleasure, like we right. are in the suburbs, you know? But right. we think we preach a gospel of comfort and prosperity. And when you go into these dark places, like, okay, so let's say I'm a I'm a sidewalk counselor. How would you open up the conversation with um maybe either a uh a, let, let's just say this, a man who's accompanying his wife or girlfriend who's getting an abortion? Oh man. I, it's been so long. You're putting me on the spot, but I'll, I'll, but I'll, I'll, but I'll try. Yeah, that's yeah. what the people want. <laughs> yeah, I would. I would first. I would quickly introduce myself to them, right? And I would. And I would try to like 
get, get their names right away, and I'd use their names over and over and over again, almost to the point that they might think I'm talking to a crazy person. Like, yes, Gomer, that's very good, Gomer. You're doing a good job, Gomer, oh, right? But uh, <laughs> but I would use their names a lot, right? And that would be important to me. And I would ask them about their family life. Now, again, sometimes you only have 10 seconds, right? And so that, that would be different. But I would immediately, right off the bat, offer uh, a practical help, right? Because that's always something that is going to be usually their very first refutation of what we say. They're going to be like, oh, so you're going to raise the baby? You're going to pay for this baby to be raised? So I usually just take that off the table and say, we will literally support you in every means possible until that baby is 18 years old and even past that if we need to. Like we like we will do whatever we can to support you in that way, you know. I would take that off the table so that that's not a question in their mind. And then I would start to ask them like what do they, you know, why why they found themselves there today? Why are you here? You know, the, I would try to draw out the question of what's going on. And usually they get to the point where they're going to say, "Look, I don't want to do this, but I have to." That's where you kind of get that's like the crux of it. You yeah. know what we should do, Gomer? We should have Maria Graham come on the show. Oh, do you remember I love her. She, yes. Mar- Maria Graham to date is, I don't know if she was the best sidewalk counselor because I never like listened to her, but she is the most successful sidewalk counselor I ever met in my life. Wow. She, every single time I went to the clinic with her, somebody would turn away. Like wow. it was, it was incredible. Yeah. She was amazing. Um, but we should have her on because she, she could answer this so much better than I, but that's basically what I would do is I would try that and I would move the conversation. And usually one of the questions I used was, well, have you, have you like prayed about this? Like, have you asked God what he wants you to do? You know? And you know, some of the more hardcore people will say like, yeah, I did. And God does not want me to be in a, a situation where I can't support my family. And then, so then you can kind of get into like how ridiculous a view of God that would be, you know, mm-hmm. like that he would allow a pregnancy, even though he doesn't, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but anyways, yeah. So I would, I would, you know, try to bring, for me, it was always to try to bring evangelization in pretty quick, you know, the gospel in pretty quick. And, and maybe that's because I'm from, I was doing it in Texas. You know, you know, it's funny is that the, the, the different cultures, you know, that you encounter, it was, you, you just knew, you knew whether you were going to be successful or not, you know? Yeah. Cause I, I imagine in like uh, a place that tends to be more progressive, um, they already have a narrative of Christian patriarchal dominance over the body of a woman. And so of course you're going to be trying to impose yourself and interject yourself between me and my my agency as a woman but uh, you know and in a place right. like texas you know a lot of it you can use religious language to snap people out of like to see the gravity right. of the situation that they're really in but yeah so how would you how would you yeah. approach someone on the progressive side of things because you already i think you just demonstrated a, a conservative one of like immediately going to yeah so a lot of times i i would say and i don't know if this was I can't tell you a time that this was effective, but I'm sure there were times, but I can't tell, I can't point to like a specific thing. But um, like one of the things I would say is like, you know, I spend so many hours out here and I see the women when they come in and I see the women when they go out and I just don't want you to have the kind of regret that I see on their faces when they come out, you know? And, and I talk about like maybe some statistics and I, you know, like, like biological issues. And then even sometimes I get into, um, I think probably a lot of people are going to think this is, I don't know, cheap or a cheap shot or something like that, but how dangerous it is Mm -hmm. and how these are not good doctors, you know, Uh, which is true. You don't like a good doctor doesn't do abortions like unless you have some sort of weird cultural bent 
that you feel like you're, you know, you know, fighting for women's rights or something like no, no, no worker wants to work at an abortion clinic. And I, I that is 100 percent the truth. Yeah. They do not want to work there because it is so stressful and so awful. And so, yeah, I would get into that, you know, like uh, like the more biological side, yeah. uh, things like that. Um, Keep it to the common ground. Yeah, right. I that that kind of thing, and and you know, with the men, <laughs> with the men, a lot of times it was, uh, you know, what the classic answer a man says is like, "Look, it's I don't want to do this, but I'm not going to intervene in what she wants to do." You know, mm. and I would always say, like, I promise you, if you step up and you say you're going to support no matter what, that you love them and you want to support them. That was a big deal for men. And it worked yeah. a lot of times where the man would be like, what? Do you really think that? And I'd be like, yes, you go in there right now and you tell her, I'm ready. I'm going to take care of you. I I, I maybe shouldn't have been in this, you know, uh, this kind of a serious relationship or a sexual relationship right now, but I, we, we're in this situation now and I'm going to support you and I'm going to do this. And that kind of appeals to, you know, a lot of men. And it definitely worked. A lot of times where the women would be like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm seeing this change. Let's get out of here and start a family. Yeah. You know? And then you give him the meditations of Marcus Aurelius and he's like <laughs> <laughs> and, and a dumbbell. And, a dumb- and I'm like, you're going to need these two things to start with. <laughs> yeah. You see also, this kettlebell <laughs> jerking cleans. Here we go. <laughs> right. On two, yeah, on two. Right. Yeah. I think that's yeah. so powerful. People like one of the reasons why we wanted to bring this up is not just the idea of like the critical episode last week of it's easy to to use the phrase, well, I'm trying to be winsome in order to avoid the hard arguments because then you're not leading people to repentance. You're not challenging them with a right. better way to live. But the other thing is these are also areas that are ripe with evangelization opportunities oh, yeah. that the church oh, yeah. sometimes in certain ways, maybe not the church, but the local parish might be afraid to go into. Or we allow the, the political side of the pro-life movement be the only thing of the pro-life movement and bringing right. in the gospel is such a powerful way and i love what you said uh, i i think the most powerful part for me of this episode is how you said i would look at sally and just say sally god loves you so much right i, I always trip myself up with how do I start the conversation when I'm surrounded yeah. by belligerence I don't know how to start the conversation but that's how you do right. it Right? You just right. started with that. God loves you so much. Oh, yeah. yeah. And she definitely said the F word back to me the first time I said yeah. it. Like, screamed it. I want to say that I was there for that. Yeah. I want to say I that I were. was there for that because I remember I you, think you were you, you mentioning something. And we weren't, like, super friends back then. Um, it was still well, aren't. I mean, I kind of can't stand you. Wow, but that's, that's, that's weird. That's <laughs> it's weird. not like we ever hung out. <laughs> ever, ever. Except uh, until really, we started hanging out when you started hanging out with Amber in uh, in a yeah. regular way, which was so fun. Oh yeah, I was so mad. I was like, yeah. "She's a ten, and you at best are a two. <laughs> <laughs> a one, really. Let's be honest. Um, <laughs> the uh, yeah, you know, it's it, it it really is. I think I think for most people who are evangelists, they would be much, even though they don't believe it, even though they don't believe what I'm about to say, they would be much more comfortable. And better off starting in the further reaches, yeah. like the, the the works of mercy, because it it really is uh, like a light is brightest in the darkness, yeah. you know. And and I I, I always tell the story about uh, there was a at one of the bars I worked at, at a, as a bouncer, there was a guy who he was like the guy, mm. right? When he would walk in, people would literally cheer when he would walk into this bar, and he was a male model, okay, and he. 
The reason he would come to this bar in Burlington is because he had two houses. One of them was in Malibu, California on the beach. And one of them was in Burlington because he loved to ski. He spent, you know, he drove a Hummer. It was like, you know, he, this guy was just loaded and everyone loved him, right? He'd tip you with like a $20 bill. It was like a movie <laughs> and leave with tons of people every night going back to his house for a party, women, all, you know, just imagine like a movie, right? That's what he was like. And everyone loved him. Even the bouncers loved him, you know. And one night he like started some some trouble and and we had to kick him out. And because he was a friend of the club kind of, the the, the my boss was like, hey, walk him and get him a taxi. And on the way out, this is what he was saying to me over and over and over again. I'm so sad. I'm so lonely. I'm so bored. I'm so sad. I'm so lonely. I'm so bored. Wow. And I was like, it was a busy night. So I was like trying to get him out quick. I was like, what are you talking about, man? You're like, everyone loves you. Like you're the guy, you know, everyone loves, you know. And he was like, no, I'm the loneliest person you've ever met. I'm the saddest person you've ever met. I'm the most bored person you've ever met in your life. And I, what I always say to people about like the dark places of our society in front of abortion clinics, bars at 3 a.m., uh, the works of mercy, working with the homeless, working with, you know, all these kinds of like very prisoners, right, is it's very common in those situations that you've encountered a person who has tried every drink, drug, thrill-seeking activity, every career move, every possible movement towards happiness, but they have never tried Jesus. And they could be at a point and very often are at a point where they could say, well, I've tried everything else. This sounds like the craziest thing ever. Maybe I should just give my life to Jesus yeah. and see see if they can try, you know. And, and it works. Yeah. And uh, and another thing, if you think about it, this uh, Francis Chan perspective, right? Francis Chan is Mr. Event Charisma. By the way, did you see? He's speaking at Seek. And so at is my podcast, Catching Foxes. And we're going to try to get him desperately to be uh, as an interviewee. That's what we're trying to do. You're speaking at Seek? I'm not speaking at Seek. We're doing a podcast for Seek. First, cool. And, and as a, an official podcast, you can request like one of the speakers to be on it. And we're only requesting oh. So, um, but one of the things I wanted to share, he said, uh, what, why is he moving to like Burma or Malaysia or something like that? He said, you know, Christ called us to be fishermen. And here in America, there, it's like 500,000 people are all fishing from the same pond. So yeah. we get so few fish. He said, for someone whose life is evangelization, I want to see the fruits of my labor. So I'm going to go where there are only two fishing rods, me and my wife's, and we're going to be fishing in, in, the, in, in these ponds. I love and, it. Uh, and I started thinking about that while you were talking. I was like, yeah, that, that, that's one of the darkest places, right? You go to the Calcuttas within America and those dark yeah. places where poverty of spirit reign, maybe not poverty of or maybe even poverty um, of money. And that's where we begin to preach. And that's where we begin to minister through through accompaniment, through being there with them. Right. Yeah. And uh, like you were for Sally. Oh, man, I'm going to keep Sally in my prayers now. Oh, I think about her all the time. I, I look for her all the time when I'm because I live in Pittsburgh and I always wonder if I, and I've run into several of the escorts in Pittsburgh. Oh, really? Um, yeah, several. One one of the guys uh, we I was in line behind him buying fireworks before the Fourth of July, <laughs> and and I couldn't tell if he I couldn't tell if he recognized me, but we didn't say anything at all. I couldn't tell if he recognized me. You would remember this guy. And this is what happened. I was with one of two of my kids, and all he said was he he purchased his fireworks. We were behind him, and he purchased fireworks. And all he did was he looked at my kids and he said, 
just so you know, your dad is the biggest idiot I've ever met. <laughs> and the walked away. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> And I was like, you do remember me. Oh, that's all I said. That's, that's all I could get so out. So yeah. funny. Oh, yeah. this has been a wacky episode of Every Knee Shall Bow. Um, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm charged up by what you said. I'm charged up by these last two topics. I think it's important as a cautionary tale, but also an invitation to go out there and into the dark places and spread the gospel. Uh, like always, um, send us an email at EKSB at ascensionpress.com. We would love to hear it. We're going to go through. We have about four or five emails. A lot of people are writing us thank you emails and it's like okay that's great now give us the 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 hard stuff and then linnea really uh uh yeah <laughs> i mean it's so difficult but um we are uh we are here for y'all we hope this stuff is producing um a change in effect in your own lives in the parish um you know ascension i don't know if you know this van vickle but uh uh, Father Mike's podcast, The Bible in a Year, I crushed saw. I all saw. iTunes, right? Number one in all of iTunes. Awesome. So um, they're doing such good things. So check out ascensionpress.com so you can find out more of the opportunities that maybe um, intellectually you need to be fed in certain areas where maybe you were underfed. There's a lot of great stuff that's on there. So um, yeah, we'll see you next week. God bless y'all. God bless. Bye.